And I think it's, uh, it's a mark of, I, that I think should be of, of all of us. And I, I, I fail at this sometimes, but it's whether or not we're in the faith and whether or not I really place myself under God. And there's a lot of ways that we deceive ourselves. Uh, not only that we, sometimes we think we're worthless because we're not perfect, that's just simply not true. We're made in God's image. No matter what we are, we're made in God's image and we're the most like God of any part of the creation. We are children of God by faith and by adoption. And there is absolutely nothing that we can do to change that once God has done the work for us. All we can do is try to be the best children we can be for our King of Kings and Lord of Lords fathers. It's good to have a dad who's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords uh, and a maker of heaven and earth. But at the same time, like we expect our children to be obedient, that we as parents want to see them grow up to develop to maturity, that they can have joy that is made full in their life, we grieve when we see our loved ones in rebellion. And today, I just simply want to share something that is sort of an amalgamation of a lot of different topics. But first, it is all about the problems that are associated with rebellion. I say this because you know and I know all you have to do is turn on the news and you know that we're not living in the millennium right now. (laughs) You see that there are constant problems. And and I say this because it's the murder of the day, it's the rape of the day. I mean, you go through and, and we have gotten to the point where we, there is so much evil in the world and so much rebellion, and we hear about it so often that we're numb to it. I know I have to constantly remind myself that this is painful. When I hear somebody who has been mugged and raped or murdered, that the, the pain that that family is in, it's not just another statistic. And that's why we, as the people of God, we need to humble ourselves and be sensitive to the leading of God, to the law of God, to the righteousness of God, not only on an individual level, but on a national level. Because I know, I I just have a sense, all of you want to live a blessed life. Blessed meaning you want to be happy. And I'll tell you that there's nothing that can kill your happiness more than rebellion individually. And guess what? A nation that is rebellious against God, will also live in misery and poverty and pain. Now, for us, we live in the United States of America, which has a Christian heritage, but which frankly has abandoned it over the years. Progressively, point by point, we try to, we're de-Christianizing and getting God out of the public square, which means what? We're getting to the point where Everyone does that which is right in their own eyes. Unless, of course, we decide that Jesus Christ is Lord and should rule, then that's the thing that's not okay in our culture. But what does God say about this? Psalm 33:12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, whose God is Yahweh, the Jehovah of the Bible. The nation that submits to Him and follows Him will be blessed. God will prosper them. And Unfortunately, there are ways to measure blessedness and there are ways to measure the effects of rebellion. There are three 
primary markers when we see a culture being destroyed. Why? Because they have abandoned the God of the Bible. The first is going to be consistent and rampant violence against human beings. Now all you have to do, as I said, is turn on the news, read the paper, and you see the constant violence against human beings, the muggings, murders, rapes, robberies. I, I mean, it's, it's a grocery list of crime against humanity. But why is that a marker of an abandonment of the God of the Bible? And the answer is clear. It's because when we think about God as the greatest of all possible beings and we are aware of who He is and His holiness, His righteousness, and we're concerned about that, we see a clear hierarchy of good and evil. And we recognize that mankind, man and woman, made in the image of God, is a valuable being. It's the most like God and we recognize that and it's something that should never be harmed. But when you have reduced human beings consistently to the point where you're almost to the point where you can squish a bug as easily as you can murder a human being, you have no idea who God is. Why? Because you you have lost the sense of the greatest of all possible beings. And that means you've abandoned God. Now you can do your own check on that, look at cultural indicators, cultural markers, and the fact is, it's not good. The fact is, the more people think about God in a culture, the less police we need. Okay, But you know, when the police go on uh, strike, or they have blue flu, what happens? That's when you turn on the TV and you see the riots in the streets. Why? Because man's heart is still rebellious. Number two, and you know about this, because it's a constant battle in our nation, around the world, but particularly in the state of California, which we're going to have to rename pretty soon the state of Sodomfornia. Okay. Why? Because what you see as another marker is rampant homosexuality in the culture, where it's accepted as equal to heterosexuality. Now, why is that a marker of a culture that has abandoned God? Because there is nothing more obvious in the creation than the differences between man and woman. By design, they are designed to be different, to complement each other, and to live together in that complementarian harmony. When you can say a man and a man and a woman and a woman are equal to a man-man or a a man-woman conversation, when it's equal to a man-woman marriage, a heterosexual marriage, what have you done functionally? You may not say these words, but you have rejected a designer for the creation. You simply don't think about that anymore. It's everyone does that which is right in their own eyes. And what we want to do is tolerate everything except intolerance. So I'm intolerant of your intolerance, but never mind about the self-refuting nature of that. What's the third, and this is the one we want to dwell on for a time, and that is the rise of the occult, the acceptance of the occult, the classic practices of sorcery or magic, of divination or fortune-telling, and of spiritism or necromancy, and all the practices that are attendant with that. Now, why is that particularly singled out by God as being something horrible. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 
15. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we see a warning, a condemnation because of disobedience. 1 Samuel 15, starting with verse 20. And Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But some of the, some of the people, they took, the, they, they took spoil and sheep and oxen and the choicest of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And Samuel the prophet said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is of the sin of witchcraft, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Now, notice this. Now, probably nobody here right now is practicing witchcraft. Nobody here, at least at this time, maybe in your basement or something, you've got the pentagram going, but uh, we'll pray, ask God to reveal that, and we'll send Chad and the God Squad over to take care of you later. But, but I'll tell you, what does God equate here? It says rebellion is of the sin of witchcraft. Why? Because those that are immersed in the occult arts and the occultic practices, what are they trying to do? They're trying to live their life and to control the world and have knowledge of the world and to have their direction done according to my will. My kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in the heavens with the gods from whom I can obtain power and I can do magic spells on my enemies, my friends, and get whatever I want, whenever I want. And God says that is, that, that is the, the test case for rebellion. Because all occult religions and practices do not encourage you to submit to the true and the living God, who is your maker. What they do is they promise you that you can have your own will all the time. And what is the result of all of this? Destruction. We know this. You know it, and I know it, and the Scripture tells us from beginning to end that rebellion brings destruction. Now, I want you to see this because the the warnings are clear in Scripture. The warnings are clear in your heart, and you know it. Not only for the believer, but for the unbeliever. We think about this. God will not put up with rebellion. Just as the judge doesn't put up with rebellion in the state, parents, you don't put up with rebellion of their children, and all of it has consequences, and the consequence is destruction. C.S. Lewis warned about this. Okay? C.S. Lewis in his uh, book, The Screwtape Letters and the Preface, he warns of this type of deception and those that would bring it. He says there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the demons. One is to have an excessive and unhealthy interest in them, and two is to disbelieve in their existence and don't give a second thought to them. Each are problematic 
When you give too much attention to them, you take your eyes off the Lord. When you don't think about it at all, you are possibly ignoring the cause of sin, some of the cause of the torment in your life, some of the cause of the torments in culture. What do we want? We want blessedness. So how do we fall into this category of rebellion as a people and as a nation? Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3 and go back to the beginning. Uh, there are a number of titles I could have given this message today. Uh, the, t- the official title is Demons, the Occult, and the Judgment of God. That's the sensationalistic title where if you put it on the radio, there'd be twice as many people coming because you mentioned the word demons in the sermon. Okay? But if you mentioned God's holiness, then it'd be half as full because people would feel convicted. Uh, on the other hand, uh, probably the, the practical title for this sermon is... Uh, Basically, how we can spank this church today into repentance, okay? That's probably the best understanding of it. But when we look at what's going on in Genesis 1 through 3, remember this as a fact of the Scriptures and always live your life in light of this. There are only about four chapters in the Bible that deal with man and God in perfecteharmony.com, okay? Perfect, eternal harmony. First two chapters of Genesis and about the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. Everything else in between has one purpose. Fix the rebellion problem with mankind. It is the key theme of the Bible. The creatures are rebelling against the Creator and against each other. We are not living in harmony with what we are supposed to do. So what do we need to do now? We look at Genesis 3 and go back to the beginning. This is nothing new. But the, but the remedy is always the same. And so when we look at this, look at the temptation of Eve. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God has made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, for from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. And now we see the philosophy of the occult. We see the philosophy of rebellion that has been with mankind ever since. Verse 4, And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die, for you know that in the day... You eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now after that, we see that the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, what are the promises here? What, what, what happened as a result, and how can you protect yourself from falling into that trap individually? Because after this, we're going to look at what happens to a nation that falls into this. The basic promise of the occult, and the basic promise of, uh, of the devil here, is what? He says, you surely shall not die. Now note that what you've got here in the Hebrew text is Satan quoting God, and then putting a negation in front of it. God says, you shall surely die. And Satan says, not surely you shall die. Direct contradiction of the one who made the universe, judges it, 
gives it its law, and of course the creatures demand obedience. So here's the number one rebellion and rebeller that has gone on who says to us the lie. God's wrong. He got it wrong. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know it all. You can figure out things for yourself. Now, what's the promise there, of course, is that man will live forever even if he disobeys the commands of God. No, 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 you're not going to die. There's not going to be a cutoff here. There aren't going to be any consequences. Now, again, uh, it's just a given here. If you're here at church today, you're probably not a Satanist. You don't have a pentagram or a, you know, a goat's head or something in your house. But you know what? How much do you think about this when God says something in His Word that you rationalize it? If God says don't sin, if God says don't lust after a woman in a heart so as to commit adultery, don't hate your brother, how much do we rationalize those things and say, yeah, God said it, but it's different for me. That's not true for me. That's the same kind of rebellion. And guess what? You know, it doesn't have to have come from the devil. It can come from your own self-deception and from your own self-deliberation, which course I teach called Demonology and the Occult. One of the questions that always comes up, how could Satan fall in heaven? Well, how could Adam and Eve fall in the Garden of Eden? It's pretty simple. As a limited, created, changeable, that is, mutable being, who only can think one thought at a time and has to gain knowledge, guess what? You can deceive yourself. You think of ideas all the time. You, know, you think of ways to get around the law, get around the law of God, and justify it and pretend there are no consequences. Guess what? We can deceive ourselves with our own thoughts. That's how Satan can do it. Whatever the equivalent of closing your spiritual eyes in heaven is to stop staring at the glory of God for a moment and to go off into some fantasy world of, yeah, yeah, I might be like God. I can ascend above the Most High. Really? Good luck with that. And, of course, we saw what happened, judgment, and he was cast down. But for us, when we say you surely shall not die, guess what? That's a lie. Because the day they ate of the fruit, they died. They lost intimacy. How does that work in for your marriages and for your relationships? I can sin and get away with it. But then you, uh, you know, husband-wife, wife-husband, uh, are you telling yourself a lie that all this is going to work out? I can rebel. I can do what I want. I convince myself of a lie. And then what? You're in conflict with your spouse. You don't have the blessed marriage. Well, you're not going to have that unless you both seek righteousness any more than you're going to have a relationship with God. So number one is that contradict God and to be deceived by someone else or deceive other, the promise you'll live forever. Guess what? There will be consequences. You won't live forever. Number two, your eyes will be open. In other words, you can independently discover and have a secret, your secret understanding of your own condition. You don't need God's Word. You don't need a Creator. You can find it out for yourself. There's a lot of terms that people use to describe this phenomenon. Uh, knowledge, moral relativism, cultural relativism, theological relativism. The point is, is that it's true for you. Which, by the way, don't do this. Don't, don't go to a Bible study and say, what does this mean to you? Because the answer should be, who cares? 
Okay? The answer is, what does God mean when he revealed it in his word, when God superintended the minds of the human authors and revealed his words? He inspired them. What does God mean by them? It's irrelevant what I think it means. It's irrelevant what it means to you or what it means to me. What it means is, is what God wants us to know and what he's revealed. The question is, are you submissive enough so that you realize who God is, that he is your creator. You would not exist, your very being, without him. If he took his providential hand off you, you would cease to exist at any moment. Do you walk with that knowledge and submit to, and submit under God? Happily, as a forgiven child of God. I'm talking to the Christians here. Do we seek the will of God? Do you take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? That's a privilege to be able to seek God and his word and his knowledge. But do you really believe that it's God's word that's beneficial and what blesses us? Because otherwise, you're going to try and open your eyes with some lie. And you will be deceived. And while you may not be thrown in the lake of fire, you will have consequences in your life. It might be a broken marriage. You might get fired from your job. You might have not have a real good relationship with your kids because you may have even said, yeah, kids are important. My job is important, but my job's more important than my kids. And you're an absentee father or an absentee mother. Now, those are just the things that, you know what, every single one of us need to think about those day and night because we are responsible to God for the life we live. And I want him to say to me, and I hope you think the same, I want him to say to me when I stand face to face, which might be two seconds to now, two seconds from now, what could that be? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And then you go up to Abba, and he gives you a big spiritual hug, and you enjoy him forever and ever. Don't put your eyes on the temporal things and the material things the sensual things. Think about you know the things that are really blessed and those are the things of the Spirit. Third, promise of the devil. You will be like God. Yeah, good luck with that one too, right? But Which means by means of self-will and disobedience to God, man can become God-light and gain forbidden power. Reject what God says, God's lying to you, or he's just self-deceived, according to the devil. You can discover your own condition, and guess what? You can be equal to God. That is, the, that is exactly the problem going on here. It's functional polytheism. Well, none of us might say, you know, have an idol set up in your house, or you're praying to multiple altars. Guess what? If you have anything else before God that comes first in your life, that's your God. That's the one you bow down to, not literally, but you give your ultimate obedience to it, and that might be yourself. If you're following your own ways, if you're making it up as you go, guess what? You're functioning as your own God. That is polytheism, which God roundly condemns from the beginning to the end of the Bible. There is only one true and living God, and God is a jealous God, and we must seek him and submit to him. But that is the promise of the occult, is you can gain all this secret power and you can control your environment. You can control the world. But like I said, while you might not have magical amulets, while you might not have spells and potions and all the things you see in a Harry Potter movie uh, to help you with your life, so to speak, 
How many other things do we try and control our situation with? By browbeating people? By manipulating people with, uh, you know, our sad act? How many other techniques do we have, even as Christians, that we haven't gotten rid of, that God is displeased when we use them? How many of those are still with us as Christians? Well, guess what? You may not think that you're going to use magical amulets or you like God, but you're still trying to control something in an improper way that you don't have a right to control. Insofar as it depends on you, be at peace with all men and follow it by means of the true and the living God. Fourth lie of the devil, you'll be like God. Fourth lie, knowing good and evil. Now this is, I I think it is about as endemic in our culture as you can make it, and how you can ruin the next generation. The promise here of the devil is that a state of innocence is counterproductive to man's best interest. Only personal experience will determine what is good and what is evil, hence moral relativism. What does that mean? People who follow this, and again, it doesn't have to be that you're out worshiping Satan, but you think your kid makes his decisions for himself? I mean, we're, as, as mature Christians, we barely know what we're doing. So we can go through life without killing ourselves and hurting someone else. How much more do our babes need us that we will have pursued wisdom in our life, godly wisdom that we can pass on to our kids? And as I said, while, while we may not do it in an explicitly occult way, guess what? We're still rebellious if we're not training up our children in the way they should go. And if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a while, and you're not doing what they did in the book of Acts. In Acts 2 and 3,000 people were saved. What were they doing? They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and prayer, meaning doctrine, Bible study, prayerfully seeking the Lord. Now, You know, and we see this, uh, we think about the spiritual warfare aspect of this, and most of you are familiar, and if you're not, you can look it up later, in Ephesians chapter 6, where we talk about the armor of God, and there's this whole list of armor, how to protect ourselves from the enemy, and the first is the helmet of salvation, right, the most important thing. Now, of course, at the end, we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But all the other things, like the breastplate breastplate of righteousness and all the other things, you're sort of missing those, right? So what we are is we're basically a bunch of babies running around in a diaper with a helmet on with a bunch of flaming arrows sticking out of our posterior, okay? And you wonder why you're not having a good life, okay? You need to trust God. The way you're going to trust God is to know the truth that sets you free. Because why did Eve fall? What, how did Adam fall? And I'll tell you this because this needs to guide your entire Christian life. It needs to be based on this, that you love and seek and live God's truth. Because what happened with Eve and arguably with Adam was this. God told, she knew God, she knew the truths about God, and she lived in paradise. But what happened? Somebody came along and told her a lie, a whopper, one with a big payoff. And what did she do? Started to deliberate, started using her mind to think, well, maybe 
yeah, this is really good where I'm at, but guess what? Hmm, things might be better if I do it this way. So not content with paradise, not content with the perfect husband, ladies, there's always something better out there. You can be your own goddess. You can rule the world. You can create your own world. There's all sorts of things. But it started with the deliberation about the lie. And then eventually you started to gain an appetite that this is going to make me more happy than I am now. So what do you do? More deliberation. Start, you know, as you as a Christian, you know, and the Holy Spirit starts going, no. And what do you do? You figuratively or literally put your fingers in your ear and go la, 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 and suppress the truth and unrighteousness, quench the spirit in your life. And then you deliberate because you now you ha- you're, you're deliberating towards this attractive false view, which has a false promise to make you more happy, which is everything from what? Lies to make more money in your job. Uh, that you can get away with looking at things on the internet that you're not supposed to look at. That, uh, you know, I mean, go one after another, that somehow you can leave your spouse, not try and make a marriage work because, you know, God wants you to be happy and you can run off and find your soulmate. And guess what? The grass isn't greener on the other side. You're still dealing with fallen people, and what you need to do is be seeking God and working at it. But it's the, it's, when you hear the lie, if you're not absolutely convinced on what is true, what's going to happen? Very, very clearly what's going to happen is destruction. And that's what happened to Adam and Eve. And, of course, uh, Adam, uh, while he just, uh, for whatever reason we're not told in the Scripture, he just went along with it. Eve was deceived, and Adam just went, yes, dear, and uh, went along for the ride. And what's the result? The destruction of mankind. The human race fell. And guess what? You're living in that world. You're living in a world of sin. You're living in a world of crime. You're living in a world of a lack of righteousness and love that you all deeply crave. You want love and righteousness. And I'll tell you what you all want because you all know this. You want somebody to know everything about you and accept you and love you just the way you are and treat you well. That's what everybody seeks. And that's why nobody reveals everything to other people because you think um, you're not lovable, that people won't like you. But guess what? God already knows all of that. He knows every thought you'll ever think. He knows every action you'll ever do. And guess what? He loves you. So guess what? Practice that. Be imitators of God. Get out of the rebellion and and practice that with your friends, your spouse, your kids, and uh, have that unconditional love for people. Now, how do you fix this? As I said, you need to have a love of the truth. And I'm going to go through a couple of scriptures here, and then I want to historically apply this to an entire culture. I'm dealing with rebellion on an individual level right now and the, and, the, and the problem that comes from rebellion. What is the end of all rebellion? Turn to the end of your Bibles. I'll show you the end. And you need to decide today whether or not you believe this because it's true. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. 
And God is glorified both in saving people based on his substitutionary atonement and grace, but God is also glorified in upholding righteousness and in his wrathful retribution of those who fail to repent and come to God. God is glorified in both. Now, do you believe this? Because if you do, and you're a Christian, you care about people, you will act accordingly to go out and fulfill the Great Commission. Revelation 20, verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, I don't care whether that is a lake of fire is an evangelical or fundamental understanding, whether that's symbolic or literal, whatever it is, it's not good, lake of fire, okay? Good biblical scholars disagree on whether that's metaphorical for something that is, what's the worst possible thing you can think of that could ever happen? Uh, being burnt alive? Well, guess what? That's what it's like to be separated from God for all eternity. Okay, got the message, Okay. The question is, do we believe that? Because if you do and you care about people, then guess what? You will act accordingly if you really believe this. Do you evangelize your, your family, your mom, your dad, your, your kids that you know are not saved? Do you spend day and night praying for them, learning the Word, trying to figure out how to answer their objections to Scripture? Or do you just hope it all work out? So these are the things, if we believe this stuff, these are the ultimate consequences in the universe for eternity. Heaven and hell. And there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We deceive ourselves all the time, even as Christians. This is the destruction that awaits those who are rebelling against God for eternity. Rebellion always leads to destruction. Now, the remedy for this actually is pretty easy. But it's a question that all of you have to ask yourself, and that is, do you love the truth? In John 8, Jesus simply said, know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you're living a life of fear, of anxiety, of anger, of depression, whatever it might be as consequences of unbelief, is that You are there because you just simply have missed the part that God is the creator, that God is sovereign, and that if you're a child of God, all your sins are forgiven. By grace, you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. By grace, you have been saved. It's a perfect tense. You're delivered from danger or destruction. God loves you. You're valuable. Now, need to go to boot camp. Get trained to do what? To be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That is is what we're here to do. But guess what? You're in bondage if you do not believe that because you think that your self-worth depends on you. You think that all... No, 
That depends on God making you in His image and then saving you and adopting you as His children. You are right now and forever will be if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You're a child of God. You are a friend of Christ. You are a, a co-laborer with Christ. There's a whole list of things that you say, this is what you are by grace that God has given to you. And you know what? All you can say is, yep, and not based on anything I've done, Praise God, glory to God alone, and now let me do, live the best that I can as a child of God. And when I mess up, guess what? I have a loving Father who's there who's always going to restore intimacy with me if I repent. Now that's the kind of bondage we can get in if we don't know the truth. But the life of bondage is what Adam and Eve got the human race into. By setting up false gods, by setting themselves up as their own god, by setting themselves with some functional polytheism, and then the result was bondage. So what do you need to do? Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Second Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, we're told to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. Okay, guess what? That requires a constant awareness of, say, of self analysis, self-checking, not self-condemnation, but that's how you're going to grow, to be in a constant state of repentance, that you love the truth of God, particularly that you know about the law, which God demands. He says, be holy, for I am holy, but also the gospel. There's nothing you can do to save yourself, but yet he says, I have done the work. Christ died for sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, he was raised up on the third day according to the scriptures. And that faith alone in Christ alone today will take care of all your eternal problems. You will be forgiven by God, you'll be adopted as a child of God, and God will make you a new creation in Christ. And if you are not sure that you have done that, this is the day of salvation. If you are not sure where you're going to go when you die, if you're not sure exactly where God wants you, Guess what? Today is the day to repent, to submit yourself to God, to be thankful of God's amazing grace. When we owe this infinite debt to God, this being who dwells in unapproachable light is so holy that if we looked upon him, it'd be like looking into a nuclear furnace. We would be consumed. But yet, this is the one who decided to become a man and to do what? To live the perfect life in our place to die a horrible death that we deserve, to experience spiritual death, eternal death intensively on the cross for us. That's what we deserve. This is the being who dwells in unapproachable light, who made us in his image. Now, individually, we rebel against God. As believers, we rebel against God, and which means you, me, everyone, we need to constantly be seeking the Lord and His will. And guess what? Repent, repent, repent. Jesus said, the time has come, the kingdom is at hand. Repent and, the believe, and believe the gospel. But also for sanctification, guess what? You've got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Meaning you've got to repent. You've got to change your mind. And really believe this stuff that sin is harmful. So that's why when we consider it on, on an individual basis, you know what you need to do. Seek God. And do it today. Don't put it off. As a nation, if we do not do something immediately as the church of God, if we do not 
Seek, as Psalm 33:12 says, to be a nation that is under God. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Our nation will certainly go the way of another nation. And this is where I want you to turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 47. We see a historical study on a nation that departed from these principles. Isaiah 47, and again in the great book of Isaiah, the prophet, God has given him this word, is prophesying against Babylon. Babylon, of course, was known for its splendor, for its grandeur, for its great economy, for all those blessed material blessings it could provide for its people. But who were its gods? They were false gods. What did the people do for knowledge? They practiced the occult. And here is the end of a nation. Here's the prophecy of that nation, the destruction of that nation that will come. And look at the reasoning for it and look at what's going on with these things because this is where, and you start measuring where America is at because we're pretty close. Now, maybe not 10 years from now, 20 years from now, but in biblical time, uh, we're getting there. Isaiah 47, 8 through 15. Now, of course, they also had the problem of being polytheists, but they weren't just functional polytheists. They had many gods. They didn't have one true and living God who made all things and controls all things in their mind. They just went to the God they wanted to go to to get what they wanted. Isaiah 47, verse 8, Now then, hear this, you sensual ones who dwell securely, who says in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow, nor shall I know the loss of children, but these two things shall come on you suddenly in one day. Loss of children and widowhood, they shall come on you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries, in spite of the great power of your spells. Note what he says to them there. He says, you dwell securely and say in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. Hmm, who is he quoting there? He's quoting himself. A couple of chapters earlier in Isaiah 43, 6, he says, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last and there is no God besides me. Say, by the way, God knew that polytheism was not true. There is no God beside him. But yet these people have deceived themselves. He says, you're so secure, you're following the way of Eve, who is deceived by the devil, who says, I am, and there was no one besides me, that you can be your own God. This philosophy that was born out of hell and preached in the Garden of Eden has come to fruition in an entire society. And God says what? He says, yeah, guess what? You will know all of these things despite, guess what? Your spells and your sorceries. Now that's the problem of deception, which I talked about earlier. But we see in verses 10 and 11, here are the people, here's how they are deceived. And you felt secure in your wickedness and said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge, they have deluded you. For you have said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. But evil will come on you, which you will not know how to charm away. 
and disaster will fall on you for which you cannot atone, and destruction about which you do not know will come on you suddenly. Now here is, of course, God saying, you think you're God? You're deceived. You think you can protect yourself from evil by your magic, by your astrologies? In fact, this is one of the reasons why the nation perished. They didn't have a Pentagon and a CIA. Okay, When you think about the idea of national defense, they actually relied on the astrologers and their soothsayers to try and predict when the enemy would attack and what they need to do to defend against it. And of course, you know, like most of the modern day, uh, you know, uh, you, you go to your astrology chart, they're 100% right 10% of the time, right? Yeah, they make a lot of vague predictions, and about 10% of the time you can wiggle some of the events in your life into one of those predictions. But guess what? This is how they were conducting national defense. <laughs> and you know what happened? Eventually the armies came in and took them over. But also individually, They've deluded themselves. As a nation, they trusted these things, and they were enslaved. They lost their children. They lost their houses. They lost their their secure way of living because they did not follow the true and the living God and seek His will and seek His way. And they enacted and procured false remedies for the problem of evil. And what happened? Through this self-deception, we see the third stage of it, that this rebellious people seek the wrong powers to avoid the consequences of sin and rebellion. They sought that. What are the powers they sought? Verse 12, God mocks them, these unrepentant people who turn to the false gods, to the demons. That's who the false gods are. He says, verse 12, Stand fast now in your spells and in your many sorceries with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you'll be able to profit. Perhaps you may cause trembling. You're wearied by your many counsels. Let now the astrologers who prophesy by the stars, those who predict by the new moon, stand up and save you from what will come upon you. Behold, they have become like stubble. Fire burns them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. And there will be no coal to warm by, nor a fire to sit before." Those that have turned to the promise of false power will ultimately be destroyed. Those who promise the false power can't even save themselves. All the astrologers, all the soothsayers, all the witches, they still all die and die in their sins. Look at the occult nations that have ever existed. Look at the occult nations today. Particularly, for example, look at Haiti, which is ultimately controlled. What's the main religion there? Voodoo. Not prospering well. Look at a number of the West African nations that still follow hoodoo, which is a part of actually the the uh, part of the Yoruban religion, which is a polytheistic sacrificial religion that works on magic. How well are those economies doing, and how peaceful is the society? It's not prospering. It's only when people turn to the true and the living God and away from these idols that we prosper. But the promise of false power. It's just that always leads to destruction. And again, I give you numerous instances of that as it's going on in the world today. But probably uh, one of the worst kinds of magical falsehoods that are around today are going on in a number of the West African nations and East African as well. But for example, in the Congo, 
For example, there are a number of folks who actually, I mean, those are the the government uh, soldiers and others. They actually, for, for the tribes of pygmies, that are there. There are a number of the soldiers that actually think that they're of a different race, that the government allows them at some point to be rounded up and killed and cannibalized because of who they are. This is based on their magical worldview. With AIDS rampant in Africa, you'll see one of the greatest problems there right now is that adult males who have AIDS believe that there's some magic property or innocent to babies, and if they actually rape a baby, it will get rid of their AIDS. And what you have is the defilement, the worst defilement of innocence that we can ever have in the human race based on what? A false view of a magical world. I give you instance after instance after instance of these atrocities that occur because of a magical worldview. Now, but that's the promise of false power. It doesn't fix the problem, and in the end, you're destroyed. And this is where God says finally in verse 15, and this is the way of every nation that does not turn to the true and the living God collectively and individually. After he says that they've become like stubble, fire burns them, he says in verse 15, so have those become to you with whom you have labored, who you have trafficked with from your youth. Each has wandered in his own way. There is none to save you. None to save you. That is the promise of God. Now, nobody wants to claim that promise, right? Uh, Everybody wants to claim that, you know, health and wealth and everything else, but I can tell you the promise that we need to claim. God, the creator, maker of heaven and earth and all that is in it, has given you and me a great blessing. First, the blessing of existence, that you can think each thought, breathe each breath, as a gift of God. Even the fallen have common grace. They get to exist in the image of God. No matter how miserable they are, they still get to experience the blessedness of being a human being. The first gift that God gives us is existence. And you know what? We need to stop and really count our blessings and appreciate that. Think of all the good times you have had as a human being. And don't just look at, you know, what's wrong. Don't look at the glass as half full. Think of the blessings. And also think about the ultimate blessing in eternity. Because if you're looking at every possible thing that might be wrong and you're trying to control the things you can't control, you're going to be angry, you're going to be anxious, you're going to be depressed because you're trying to control things you can't control and trusting in the sovereignty of God whose will cannot be thwarted. And when we think about this as a nation, I I pray for our nation daily. Why? Because I'm a father, and as a Christian father, I have to first do what 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine myself to see whether or not I'm in the faith, to be a wise steward of my time, and to make sure that uh, Jesus Christ is pleased with me, even if nobody else is, and to have the courage and the knowledge of the Word of God to stand against that opposition. And if you have that, guess what? You can stand against the opposition because you've studied to show yourself approved. So as a father, I need to train up my children, but I'll tell you, I am worried about our nation because what we have done is we've taken a nation which originally said in our constitutions said things like, we must appropriate public money for the teaching of the Christian religion because morality is necessary for good government, close quote. 
That was actually in the early, the 1780 Massachusetts State Constitution said that. And they actually taught the Bible in the public school. They had Bibles in their courthouses. They had biblical phrases all over their city halls and their state governments. Why? Because blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And they knew as a people under God and self-identified as a Christian nation. Does that mean everyone's a Christian? No. But we held that up that we would follow God's standards. And frankly, God prospered us for a number of years. We have begun to abandon the faith in America. There is rampant violence, there is rampant homosexuality, and the occult is on the rise. Now, what do we have to do as a people? I'll tell you, each and every one of us right now, and I'm going to pray, need to individually repent. And I know if you're, if you're not a believer and you've heard what I've said today and you've, you, you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart, uh, you know, Come make sure afterwards, we'll, we'll pray with you, we'll talk to you. Come make sure that if you died tonight, that you know you would be face to face with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and He will say, blessed are you, enter into the reward which is prepared for you. If you're a believer, you know that today is the day of repentance. Stop holding on to that sin you're holding on to. Stop holding on to the hatred you have. Stop holding on to anything that is displeasing to the Lord. That, that thing that you're keeping secret from everyone. And I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit convicts us of that and that today each and every one of us would make a commitment that we will not leave here until we repent of our sin. And that we live with eternity in our hearts knowing that in any moment we could die and be face to face. And that this life is just a vapor it's gone almost instantaneously when we think about it in we think about it compared to eternity how long is that forever and ever and ever think about the hallelujah chorus with it with a glitch in the record forever and ever and ever and ever and and if you get 70 80 years out of it that's a snap of snap of the fingers you want to do the things that last forever and i know you want to do it and live lives of excellence serving the king and be blessed by it. So let's pray together, and as I pray, I want you all to really think about what the Holy Spirit is asking you to do, and make that commitment today, a commitment to serve in this church. If you're just coming here and taking and not giving, then you're doing it wrong. The leadership is here for equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, not to do all the ministry. God has given you a privilege, an anointing, and giftedness to serve Him. So let's start by asking God to show us that, show us what we need to do to get rid of the sins we've been holding on to, and ask that for God to withhold His judgment from us individually and from our nation, and that today, right now, that this would be the beginning of a great awakening, a revival, a new reformation, that in this generation we have to say, yeah, things were going bad, but not on my watch. We're going to work, uh, we're going to work as if it all depends on us and pray as if it all depends on God. Let's pray together. Father, maker of heaven and earth and all that is in it, Lord, when we approach you in your glory and your holiness, Lord, we could not do it at all unless we have, we're clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and we thank you for that. Lord, help us to be grateful and humble children, 
but are also excited and joyful at the great gift of salvation you've given us, at the great task with which you have set before us to preach the truth in love, to reach people with the one message that can save us and save the world. Lord, help us not to turn to avatars and false messiahs, Lord, who cannot save. Lord, for each and every one of us right now, we pray your spirit would come upon us in full measure. You would convict us and that, Lord, we would leave changed. We would leave our sin behind and just live a life of pursuing holiness day by day, checking it according to your will. Thank you for your great gift. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the peace that passes all understanding that we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. So, Lord, we love you. Send us forth this day with a renewed filling of your spirit. We must decrease and you must increase. And, Lord, pray that all of us would do this for your glory and your sake. In Jesus' name, amen.